So I used to uh, take the Greyhound bus across country, both directions. And going west, there's like the lifers. And those are the people who are doing the whole run. And then there's people who just come on and off. And so uh, different kind of communities evolve. And uh, this it's exactly like depth and practice, where a whole lot of people start each book. Hmm. And, and then we're the lifers. <laughs> I think it was my name for it. Yeah. But uh, now going um, east, it does. It's not the same. People are just on and off, on and off, on and off. There's no real, even though I went all the way to Maine, let's say from the Midwest, there was, I never got a sense of that, the community. Isn't that interesting? And there was one couple who met on on the bus, of course. They met on the bus and then in Las Vegas or Reno or something, they won like 200 hours. And then they got off and, you know, went to a hotel or something. I remember them. That that was nice. Okay. Was it the same route that the photographers in the 60s did? I'm sorry, what? Was that the same route that the photographers in the 60s did? Like uh, Robert Frank and all day? Oh, well, they went by car. They went on a lot of rural areas. No. It would have been the super highways that the bus went on. Hmm. There used to be a deal that for a hundred hours you could go anywhere for for um, for two weeks. You could just travel for two weeks, like like in Europe too. There's you know the Eurail path. It was kind of that kind of thing. So so one time I went with my son. He was five or six, and we went all all around the West. That was fun. Nice. I think he was free. <coughs> okay, I'm trying to uh, get going here. Here we go. Oh, I got to share. Kindle, here we go. Okay, oops. I think we're here. How's the type size? Or do you guys even need this? I I, I don't have the book, so. Okay. Yeah. And how's the type size? Or you want a bigger? Yeah, no, it's good. Okay. And where's Milan? Where's Daniel? Calling Daniel. I'm here. I had to relocate. Okay. And so we'll read in this order, Emily, Daniel, no, Daniel, Emily, Kim, Malen. And we're reading about my favorite person in the world, Viva Lakirti. You'll like him. Okay. Where do you come from? The... Viva Lakirti. The Vimalakirti Sutra. No, you, 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 Vim, Vimal La Lakirti. Vimalakirti. Lakirti. Vimalakirti. So that's five Vim, syllables. Vimalakirti. Better. Okay. Good. Sutra is an early Mahayana scripture that gives 
Buddha's teaching uh, that gives Buddha's teaching from the point of view of his followers, Vimala Kirti. Beautiful. Vimala Kirti was a rich layman who practiced spiritual life right in the midst of worldly life. His practice was based on a very deep understanding of Buddha's teaching. I can continue. It was short. Okay, go on. In chapter four, Shaki Muni Buddha asked the Bodhisattva Glorious Light to visit Vimala Kirti and inquire about his health. But the Bodhisattva feels he's not qualified to call on Vimala Kirti on account of having met him before. Met him before. Go on. Okay. Yeah. At the time, Glorious Light had asked Vimala Kirti, where do you come from? Meaning, where have you traveled from? Vimala Kirti said, I come from Bodhi, Bodhi Mandala, a holy site. Glorious Light feels ashamed now because he thought Vimala Kirti was talking about the particular place. <laughs> so the view, this is kind of understating it, a very deep understanding of Buddhist teacher. He, he was so intimidating to all the bodhisattvas because his understanding was just like so very, 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 very deep. Hmm. The answer that Vimala Kirti gave is just like the answer given by Jesus Christ in the Bible, John 8, 12. Jesus spoke to the Pharisees saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees said, you are bearing witness to yourself. Your testimony is not true. So Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness to myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I have come from and where I am going. The Pharisees asked, where do you come from? Jesus answered, I come from the Father. Then they asked, where is your father? Jesus said, if you knew me, you would know my father also. Jesus Christ didn't explain who his father is, what God is, what paradise is. Actually, it's not necessary to explain. No matter how long you try to explain, your explanation is still only an idea. So it doesn't uh, <coughs> excuse me. So it doesn't, so it doesn't um, hit the mark. Why am I? Uh, actually, it's not necessary to explain. No matter how long you try to explain, your explanation is still only an idea. So it doesn't hit the mark. The point is, you should understand Jesus Christ who is in front of you right here, right now. This is a very good teaching. Jesus Christ knows where he comes from. Whatever religion you study, this is the first important point. 
you have to seek. To understand the one that leads the religion? Um, Wait, are you asking? Yes. Say it again, the question. It says, uh, whatever religion you studied, this is the first important point you have to seek. So oh. what is that point? Where you, where, I'm taking it as where, where, uh, where do you come from? Okay. The great question, isn't it? Mm-hmm. The question that was asked of me in, in reference to my art by this person I really admired, I show my work every year, he said, what gives you permission to do this? Which is a similar question hmm. as where do you come from? Like, how is it that you're who you are? Or that you do, how, who gives you permission to do what you do? Like, who really gives you permission? or to say those things or believe those things. Do you want to read, Malen? Yeah. Okay. The Malakirtis for Holy Minds. According to a Zen story, the sixth patriarch, Hui Neng arrived at a temple of the fifth patriarch, Hang Zhen, who asked him, where do you come from? Huneng said, I come from the southern part of China. Later, when Nanjuan arrived to arrived to become Huineng's disciple, Huineng asked him, Where do you come from? Nanjuan answered with the name of another monastery. Well, you could even think of the question, who are your parents? You know, you can say you know, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so, but that's not really who your parents are. You know, it's, I mean, you could take it as a much deeper question, couldn't you? Mm -hmm. This was not the answer Hui Neng was looking for. So he asked Nong Yan, what is that that comes? In other words, who comes? Who are you? Who is present right now, right here? If you understand this person as he really is, well, where does this man come from? Zen always emphasizes that all beings arise from real reality, which is completely beyond explanation. That is why finally Nan Yue didn't answer this question, but in the Vimala Kirti Sutra, translated by Charles Luck, where the Bodhisattva Glorious Light asks Vimala Kirti, where do you come from? Vimala Kirti did give an answer. He said, I come from a Bodhi Mandala, a holy place. When Glorious Light misunderstood his answer and asked where that holy place is, Vimala Kirti began to explain the holiness that he comes from. The straightforward, Vivian Lakirti said, the straightforward mind is the Bod Bodhi Mandala, for it is free from falsehood. 
The initiated mind is the Bodhi mandala, for it, it can keep discipline. <coughs> the profound mind is the Bodhi mandala, for it accumulates merit. The enlightened mind is the Bodhi mandala, for it is fallible. So let's see Vimalakirti's four holy minds. Straightforward mind. Straightforward mind is Vimalakirti's Bodhi's mandala because it is free from falsehood. In Sanskrit, straightforward mind is called Asaya. It means a resting place of safety, asylum or refuge. refuge. This place where there is no sense of falsehood is called Alayabhinaya, the eight consciousness, which is immense and infinite, infinite. This is the original place in which you exist. So it implies the original nature of being. Sometimes it is called pure mind or no mind. How can you put straightforward mind into practice? Imali Kirti tells us to practice the six parameters, which are fundamental principles of human life. This is a very important teaching in Mahayana Buddhism. If you want to understand straightforwardness, practice these six, charity, discipline, patience, zeal, serenity, and wisdom. Vimalakirti says charity, dana, is the bodhi mandala, for it does not expect reward. Discipline, sila, is the bodhi mandala, for it fulfills all vows. Patience, santi, is the bodhi mandala, mandala, for it has access to all minds of all living beings. Zeal, virya, is the bodhi mandala, for it is free from being remiss. Serenity, dhyana, is the bodhi mandala because of its harmonious mind. Wisdom, prana, is the bodhi mandala for it discerns all things. <coughs> to practice charity is to be open-minded. That's interesting. You are compassionate to all sentient beings and try to do something for others, even if it's just a little bit. To follow this compassionate way of life, you put your daily life in order, in order according to a certain discipline, such as practicing under the guidance of a teacher and listening to the Buddha's teaching. Patience is forbearance, the ability of waiting for the opportunity to be right. If you cannot see anything to do for others today, don't worry about it too much. Don't be nervous, don't be confused. Be soft, gentle, kind. Open your heart and wait for tomorrow to come. Maybe tomorrow you can find something to do for others. 
Seal is making every possible effort to build up your life by doing something day by day, moving one step forward from the top of the 100-foot-high pole. In other words, no excuses. At that time, you experience a sense of serenity and tranquility, calmly watching everything carefully with universal vision. The last one, wisdom, is in nature of your great capability to see the deep source of human life. These six paramitas are the actual practice of the pure, straightforward mind of Alaya Vishnana. Pure mind can be found in any human activity because the activities of day-to-day -day life are nothing but the living functioning of universal energy. There is no difference between the two. When the original nature of being manifests itself in the realm of phenomena, it is called human culture. Drinking a cup of tea, washing your face, going to school, all are activities emerging from the original nature of being. So when you drink a cup of tea, you can make an effort to accept the original energy of tea with kindness and become one with it. Pay full attention. If you think you are paying full attention, this is not full attention. Because when you become completely one with drinking tea, there is no sense of paying attention. You just drink a cup of tea. By paying full attention, you transcend your sense of paying attention and realize no mind. That purity is the real meaning of full attention. At that time, you are as you really are. I'm just looking at that again. Um, that's interesting, isn't it? If you think you are paying attention, you're not full. This is not full attention because you become one. With, because when you become one with drinking tea, there is no sense of drinking, paying attention. You just drink a cup of tea. Okay. Initiated mind. Yeah, I have a question. Because some, yes. Because on, on Thursday also something similar, come, somebody um, pointed out that uh, when you think you are enlightened, then... You are not enlightened, really. Uh, but so, will, so if you unenlightened, you will not ever know that you are enlightened. Well, some say that. Okay. I mean, I certainly can't answer it. I think it's funny that we're. Well, I don't know. I think it's funny that. Um, mindfulness encourages a person to think about what they're thinking but maybe that's the first step into really paying full attention i think you're right mm -hmm. that uh it's not um, the end. 
because of just what Daniel's saying, that this self-awareness, you can get, that's another ditch to get lost in. So that's the idea of the raft is you take this raft across the stream, but then you have to leave it behind. Mm. I think it's a beautiful metaphor. And some people carry the raft on their back and it just weighs them down. You know, they don't need it anymore. Even, I bet you know the, the Carlos Casanega books, Don Juan. You know what I'm talking about, Emily? I've heard of them, but I've never read them. Anyway, there's one beautiful place where first he wants to find his place. And he goes in the wood and he, woods and he starts circling around a certain thing and he finds a certain spot that's his, which is just what we're talking about. And then he gives up his, his surname, you know, his parents' name because that's not who he is. Somehow that really, uh, it really meant something to me. You know, we, we think like, who are you? Well, I'm, I'm the child of so-and-so, but that only works for so long. And that's what Bhima Lakirti, you know, where you come from isn't a physical place, something much um, more spiritual. Mm -hmm. and initiated mind. Initiated mind is Pimala Kirti's Bodhi Mandala because it can keep discipline. In Yogacara philosophy, within the infinite dimension of Ella Vijjana, there are countless seeds of habit energy, Bija. Oops. The fruits of previous workings that have accumulated from the beginningless past. Daily life constantly produces seeds. Those habit energies lie stored up in the bottom of your mind as mental deposits until they ripen in your present life. So we should think carefully about all our activities. Imala Kiriti said, the 37 contribution stages to enlightenment are the body mandala, for they keep from all worldly activities. The 37 stages are all the forms of what going, what's going on in the human world. To the initiated mind that can keep discipline, all that the world holds are holy places where you can practice discipline. So good or bad, right or wrong, suffering or pleasure, whatever it is, all are introductory stages to enlightenment for the initiated man, mind. Desires, instincts, instincts, emotions, all phenomena, every aspect of human life gives you great opportunity to be beyond dualistic mind and practice pure mind based on oneness. Your present life is like a drop of water falling into a serene ocean. It's a serene. Serene. You know what that means? Uh, no. I'm just, oh, um, 
Okay. Calm, yes. In the serene ocean, the vast expanse of being in which all sentient beings exist together without discrimination. You are alive because you are interrelated with everything in the huge expanse of that ocean. The ocean is your original nature. That pure water is freedom. Do you want to keep reading? Or? Sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, your activity in everyday life is like pouring drops of colorful ink into the pure water of your life. If you pour a drop of red ink into your life, sits in the bottom of your mind, ripen and come up to help make your water red. Whatever color of ink you want to pour into your life is up to you because basically your life is completely free. If you want to listen to Buddhist teaching, you can go to the Zendo and pour the ink called Buddha's teaching. After leaving the Zendo, if you want to be a Christian, you can be Christian because you are free. But whatever you do, you have to take good care of your doings because the pure water of your life is open not just to you, it is open to all beings. So when your drop of water touches the serene ocean, it creates a wave, a moving water ring that is your individual life right now. You exist. Then the ring gets bigger and bigger, extending to every inch of the ocean. If your drop of water is red, the ocean becomes red, not just for you, but for everyone. So pay attention to what you do. Don't interrupt yourself and others with ink from the selfish dimension. <coughs> to keep discipline is to take good care of your life, accepting full responsibility to keep the water pure for all beings. That's why in human culture, there are rules. For example, in the tea ceremony, there are rules for how to hold a teacup and how to drink tea. That's funny, my, my wife wouldn't like that about that word teacup, because that's not tea ceremony. I don't know what tea ceremony he's talking about, you know, it's a tea bowl. If you practice tea ceremony, you must act smoothly without thinking. Then the clear water of no mind appears. In Zazen practice, there are also lots of rules. By following the, those rules, you can reach the final stage of no mind where you are fully alive from moment to moment. Profound mind. Vimala Kirti says that profound mind is a body mandala because it accumulates merits. Whatever kinds of seed or mental deposit <clears throat> sorry, have accumulated in the life of human beings, desires, emotions, judgment, instinct, whatever they are, they're very important for us because we can learn lots of things from them. 
There is always a great opportunity to learn how to accumulate seeds of merit and build up your life toward the future. How can you put the profound mind into practice? That is by four boundless minds, kindness, compassion, great joy, and indifference. Gimali Kirti said, kindness is the body mandala for it treats all living beings on an equal footing. Compassion is the body mandala because of its great forbearance. Joy is the body mandala for it is pleasant. Indifference is the body dharmala for it wipes out both love and hate. If you see the human world deeply, you see that all beings are constantly changing. So don't judge immediately. Don't put a certain label on a person. Stop, see life in a long range and take care of all beings in a kind way with compassion, joy, and indifference. Indifference is a state of having patience with strong emotions like love and hate and not using them to create like and dislike. With the practice of indifference, you see emotions arise, but you also see that they dissipate. So instead of attaching to your emotions, you can use their energy to return to standing in Buddha's world and building up your life there. There is a famous writer in Australia named Alan Marshall. As a child, he contracted infant paralysis polio and suffered a lot because he couldn't do everything exactly the same as other children. But he tried it anyway, and also he listened to everybody very carefully. Finally, he became a great writer. Alan Marshall said, whoever you meet, wise man, poor man, rich man, whoever he is, he has something wonderful, something excellent that you don't find in yourself. So you can learn wonderful things from anyone. You can learn many things from everybody. Even if you encounter someone who makes you bored, you can learn something from him. Learn why he makes you bored. That is a strong point he has, so you should learn it. According to Buddha's teaching, Everyone is a great being because everyone has Buddha nature. Even though someone is crippled, even though someone is not a smart man, it doesn't matter. Beyond human judgment, everybody is a great person. When you totally accept the energy in hearing in everyone, you can understand human life very deeply and find the ideal image of a human life. Then you can start to build up your life. Your ideal image of human life is very important because 
your life is not just your life. So when you build up your own life, you are also building up the life of all beings. Enlightened mind. Vimala Kirti says that enlightened mind is a bodhi mandala because it is infallible. Infallible means that within your living activity, there is always a great opportunity to open your eyes and see in universal vision. That is to think. This meaning of to think is not the same as thinking something dualistically with your big balloon head. It is to become the one mind of all sentient beings. That is enlightened mind, which is also called bodhicitta or bodhi mind. Vima Lakirti says, the four winning actions of a bodhisattva are the bodhi mandala, for they benefit all living beings. So the practices of enlightened mind are the four persuasive activities, charity, affectionate speech, conduct profitable to others, and cooperation with and adaptation of oneself to others. This is the actual practice of Bodhi mind in daily living. To practice enlightened mind, open yourself and be compassionate to all beings. Take good care of yourself and others with affectionate speech, do something good for others. When you become one with the mind of all sent sentient beings, great compassion oozes from the ground, from the earth, helping all beings. Then very naturally, you cannot fail to do something beneficial for others. <coughs> living in this world, you can do it even a little bit. Adapting oneness to others means that if others express their pain, you become one with that pain. Then instead of criticizing and grumbling at others, you take good care of yourself and others. I'm imagining a car, you know, and the, the uh, like we're, we're a part of the car as opposed to a car itself. So we rely on everything else in the car to run, that kind of thing. Hmm. I think it's Daniel's turn. Mm -hmm. In Siddhartha, written by Herman Hesse. Hesse, it's, it's Herman Hesse. And by the way, Siddhartha is a great book that, you know, that's said to be Buddha's uh, name. It's one of my favorite books, and it's also available free as a PDF. Oh, that's just, cool. If you just do Siddhartha PDF, you'll see nice. it. In Siddhartha, written by Herman Hesse. It's almost like a short story. It's pretty short. Yeah, it's just wonderful. Hmm. Okay, go on. Sorry. Um, a businessman asked Siddhartha, what kind of capability do you have? Siddhartha, Siddhartha said, I can think, I can wait, I can fast. 
This is very nice, don't you think so? To think is to live in peace with the one mind of all sentient beings, benefiting others with the great compassion of enlightened mind. But if you find the opportunity to help is not ripe, then you should wait. To wait is to live with straightforward mind, constantly paying attention to the truth and how real reality is functioning from moment to moment. To fast is to keep your life in order with the dis discipline of initiated mind, letting go of self-centered desires. Then profound mind stores the merit of your practice for the benefit of all beings in the future. So finally, where do you come from? There are two directions in spiritual life. There is the direction to study and deepen your life from the shallow plane, and there is the direction to observe human nature from the deep level. Bodhisattvas move from shallow to deep. Buddhas come from deep to shallow. Buddhas live in the world of emptiness, giving compassion to the human world. Bodhisattvas live in the human world, making compassion come alive in the world of ignorance. When you live straightforwardly every day, exerting the energy of your life with the universal energy of life itself, you could go, <coughs> go deep. You can learn the original place where you exist, real reality, and take refuge there. In that holy place, your life is interconnected with everything. You already share your life with all beings. From that holy place, life is expanding in all directions to the past, to the present, to the future. By your effort to live every day in the messy human world, based on the practice of constantly returning to your peaceful, interconnected life, you can learn to take care of human life with wisdom. Wisdom lets you be free to live in harmony with all beings, expressing kind kindness to yourself and others, and helping all beings in the past, present, and future. Where are you heading? When I moved to the United States, it was the hippie age. Hippies were disliked by many people, but when they arrived at our temple in San Francisco, wanting to practice Zen Buddhism, we could not turn them away. Accepting them wholeheartedly was very difficult for me, but I, but I tried. Then, through their open attitude toward life, I glimpsed 
a harmonious world beyond races, customs, education, and position. My heart felt at home in such a world, and I experienced a kind of warmth that seemed to me to be the real meaning of Dharma. Dharma is the original flow of life energy that everyone has. It is beyond any individual distinction, such as race, culture, and personality. Due to the functioning of Dharma, we can have hope for the future, and we can build up a harmonious world. In the 21st century, our world will become closer in many ways. For human life to develop in peace and mature toward the future in harmony, let's <coughs> learn how to live out of a sense of togetherness, not out of our individual desires. Isn't it funny to read this now? We're not quite doing it yet, are we? This is the aspiration of bodhisattvas to live with a universal attitude, illuminate the Dharma and share it with all sentient beings through our own lives. To live like this is the bodhisattva vow. Did Katagiri died? I'm sorry, what? Did Katagiri, the author, died? Oh, I don't think so. Mm. But I, uh, I, I, well, I don't know. Let me look it up. It's a good question. Because I haven't also seen or heard anything about him uh, recently. When was the book written? And I don't know that. We'll find out both of those things. Oh, he, I'm sorry, he died in 1990. Oh, oh. And uh, from cancer, born in 28, so he lived to 60, 72. No, 62. How much is 62 and 28? Is that 90? That's 88. Let's say it. No, 62 and 28. Oh, uh, uh, yep. 90. 90. Yeah. yeah, so he died at 62. And then you're wondering when, when the book was written. 1990. Okay. Did you say? Yeah. Oh, no, he passed away in 1990. Um. So he had hopes for a, a, a harmonious world. Luckily, we still have um, a number of years left. Mm -hmm. So starting tomorrow, we can do it. <laughs> okay. No more school, uh, school shootings. No more wars between Ukraine and Russia. You want to read, Milan? Yeah. Okay. 
building a, a building of a harmonious world. Shakyamuni Buddha demonstrated Dharma and showed, showed us the way to approach it. He said, there is sure, there is this sure where we are now, the human world. And there is the other shore that we are heading for. The fact that the other shore is there means we are always moving toward the future. Everyone has a destination. So Buddha said there is the other shore and then he taught the philosophical and psychological structure of the human world and also the way to reach our destination. That is the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Noble Path. This is, this is what Buddha taught. What we have to do is take one step and practice it. Even if you don't understand what practice is exactly, try to be mindful of the truth. From moment to moment, everything is moving together in a stream of harmonious rhythm. We have to learn this rhythm and tune it to that stream of creative energy. Because whether we are aware of it or not, we are living in the Dharma. Living in the Dharma means your life is not just your life. You constantly share your life with all sentient beings. So what you do influences both yourself and others. According to Buddhist philosophy, your present life is one single creation, was one single creature, expanding in all directions and to all times. So when you get up in the morning, you don't get up by yourself. Your way of getting up shows something to others. It influences all sentient beings because whatever you do, your activity is connected with all beings in the past, present, and future. In order to get up in the morning in the best way, you have to understand that past, present, and future. It's pretty hard to understand the past, present, and future because they are not fixed objects. They are <laughs> constantly changing. You can think about the past, but don't get stuck there. If you get stuck in the past, it's very difficult to deal with human life right now. Of course, you have to take responsibility for what you have done in the past, but don't be obsessed with it. Don't see your life only from a narrow point of view. You exist in human time, but you also exist in eternal time. So you always have a great opportunity to develop to enrich and to take care of your daily living toward the future. If you stand up and take responsibility for the past, you create a great opportunity to be something better in the future. This is to have right thinking about the past, present and future. Generally speaking, Human civilization tries to nature a wise person. But life is not so simple and there is always 
uneasiness. When we are afraid to see our own uneasiness, we have no humility. And without humility, we cannot forgive. Then we become critical of others, always finding fault with someone without recognizing that person's pain or strong point. If you always criticize the core of your human feeling withers from lack of warm, open hardness, upper heartedness, and you become a fighting spirit immune to another person's pain. Having a fighting spirit can lead to impulsive judgment, even to violent behavior. So we have to train ourselves to be free from that fighting spirit by seeing all aspects of your personality from a wide view and feeling the inner picture of your life. You can be free from your fighting spirit and live skillfully, transcending the desire for self-satisfaction and taking full responsibility for your life. For this, we practice tranquility, compassion, and magnanimity. 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 Is it mag? Is there another syllable in there? Magnanimity. Yeah. Tranquility is a spirit of Zen meditation. Calm down, touch the depth of your life, and see the subtlety of human nature. We need to practice calming down because everyone, without exception, is going where. Where are you headed? Heading the terminal station? <laughs> the terminal station is the dead end of your life, but simultaneously it is exactly the beginning of a new life. How can you understand the end of life as the beginning of life? We don't know, we don't believe it, but this is the simplest way to, of life. Compassion is to see your own life and others' lives simultaneously. Don't take a narrow view. Having a narrow view is too simple, too easy, and can be characterized by brutality. But compassion by itself is not enough for a peaceful life. We must also do our very best to treat our lives seriously living mindfully, mindfully every day and endlessly deepening our experience of life. How do you do this? Aim at turning in and being present in the rhythm of life and then move toward your destination. Continually, we just go. So that's tuning in. Tuning. You know, what you do with a radio station where you tune into a station. Mm -hmm. But there was a, a thing about. Uh... No, I guess that's something else. Magnanimity is to. Oh, no, it's not my turn. Yeah, I think that's me now. Yes, it is. Uh, magnanimity is to recognize that life is a long journey. 
If you want to build up a peaceful world, you cannot be a short runner. You must be a long runner. For this, you need a magnanimous mind. Mag magnanimous. Magnanimous mind. A magnanimous mind is stable and impartial like the mountains and tolerant like the ocean, viewing everything from the broadest perspective. Magnanimous mind lets you deepen your life without getting stuck. Finally, you can taste what human beings really are. And the human life you have tasted shows you what Dharma is. If you can have some beautiful hope for the future, a harmonious world where all sentient beings live together in peace, your hope is already alive because you are thinking of it. So take your hope, think carefully, and find a way to practice it. Follow the three practices, tranquility, compassion, magnanimity, nimity, and your mind becomes flexible. Your body relaxes and fits into the rhythm of nature. And then you can hear the voices of all creatures and you listen to others with a warm and open-hearted spirit. When our world, when our view is wide, we have warm relations with others, walking hand in hand with all sentient beings in peace and harmony. You transcend <laughs> your beautiful hope for the future by making your hope something that is alive right now. This is how you can build up a harmonious world. So it's a good place to stop. Yeah. So if we uh, get serious, we might be able to finish in two more weeks. Oh, look, look. Maybe sooner than that. So we have 15 pages left. Oh, okay. Everybody else will be so happy. <laughs> um, so what we're going to do now is stop share. And we're going to have our 10 minute, whatever we do. Did, did it kind of um, jar you to, to hear about this, uh, this peaceful world that he's um, predicting? No. Um... Because I thought of, um, I think about the long game. Like I, um, I don't expect this to happen. Probably not within my lifetime, but I do hope that it eventually does happen. But I'm not really sure if it will happen. But I like the idea, so I try to live like it. How about you, Milan? I was, uh, while we were reading, I was uh, 
thinking that India and China and Japan and so on, they practice and know this for centuries ago, right? And they haven't got here either. So I feel kind of, I don't know the word, like not well. Discouraged or? Anxious, so something like that. Mm -hmm. Can you talk? Anxious that um, it won't happen or anxious that you're on the wrong path or? I think I'm in the, in the right path, but sounds like kind of a fantasy, you know? If they have been practicing this for maybe millennials. There's that be beautiful story about the little girl on the seashore who's um, throwing the starfish back into the ocean and saving one by one. Do you know that story? None of you know that story? I'm going to get the story. Because this is the solution. Okay. So change your life. A little girl was, you can see it? Yeah. A little girl was walking along a beach upon which thousands of starfish had been washed up during a terrible storm. When she came to each starfish, she would pick it up, throw it back into the ocean. People watched her with amusement. She had been doing this for some time when a man approached her and said, little girl, why are you doing this? Look at this beach. You can't save all these starfish. You can't begin to make a difference. The girl seemed crushed, suddenly def deflated. But after a few moments, she went down, picked up another starfish and hurled it as far as she could into the ocean. Then she looked up at the man and replied, well, I made a difference to that for that one. The little, the old man looked at the girl inquisitively and thought about what she had done and said, inspired, he joined, oh, and said, that doesn't make sense. Inspired, he joined the little girl in throwing starfish back into the sea. Soon others joined and all the starfish were saved. Isn't that a beautiful story? Mm -hmm. I haven't heard uh, the versions I've seen didn't have the old man joining and then everyone else joining. She just says, I, I saved that one or something. Yeah, and that's the end. But anyway, I like this version too. Oh, there's a, there's a you want to see the, the movie? I bet it's short. Where, uh, how can I do it? 
just one minute. A young girl was walking along a beach upon which thousands of starfish had been washed up during a terrible storm. When she came to each starfish, she would pick it up and throw it back into the ocean. People watched her with amusement. She'd been doing this for some time when a man approached her and said, Little girl, why are you doing this? Look at this beach. You can't save all these starfish. You can't begin to make a difference. The girl seemed crushed, suddenly deflated. But after a few moments, she bent down, picked up another starfish, and hurled it as far as she could into the ocean. Then she looked up at the man and replied, Well, I made a difference to that one. The old man looked at the girl inquisitively and thought about what she had done and said. Inspired, he joined the little girl in throwing starfish back into the sea. Soon, others joined and all the starfish were saved. It's a good one. I have a friend who's a teacher and he's very often giving up in his mind. Uh, I think I will share the story with him. <laughs> Well, should we call it an evening? Okay. You think we'll get in trouble? Okay. Thank you all. Have a good night. Good night. Good night.